Hi, I'm Jude Taylor. And I'm Ryan. I'm Jude's dad. And this week, the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to learn about is the fruit gentleness. At Kids Church, we have nice, teacher who, nice teachers who are very gentle with us and help us learn about God. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew 18, 21-35. It is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had sold be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged to me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could, sh uh, could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to WCPC. I join Mary in welcoming you. My name is Bart, uh, the lead pastor here. And that's one of those passages where you're like, the word of the Lord? Thanks be to God. That's like a record scratch, right? I mean, does God torture people? And let me say, no, full stop. But I will say more about that a little bit later because I know that's sort of in the back of your mind, but I'd love for you to just keep it there for a few minutes and we'll get to it at the end of the time. But I firstly want to say to all of our elementary students, I know you love sitting in church, don't you? Woo! Right. So it's a first Sunday, which is a, a family Sunday, and that's why we're delighted to have our elementary students with us in church. We have goodie bags for you if you didn't pick one up. There's still some in the back. You can go get one. But let me just say, we as adults learn a lot from you, and you are a part of our church, and we are so glad you're with us. And as we've been pairing parables like this one with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I could use your help this morning. So what I would like to ask you is could you tell me your favorite fruit? Would you mind just throwing that out? You can yell it out. You can interrupt in church. I heard bananas. I heard strawberries. 
Peach, yes, of course. Okay. I heard a lot of different berries. So let me ask you another question, kids. What is an unusual, unique fruit? Can you think of one? Dragon fruit. I heard it. There's one over here. Star fruit. I think I heard kumquat, which is fantastic. Okay. So I have three baskets of fruit here, and the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about in Scripture and pairing with these parables is actually connected to one of these baskets of fruit. So I've got that first basket that's full of the unusual fruits, and these are just representative here, but let's say some star fruit, passion fruit, kumquats, and then the second fruit, a little more of your traditional fruit. We got some apples and oranges and pears and lemons and things like that. And the third basket is actually full of clusters of grapes. And I would suggest to you that the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about in Scripture is most like a cluster of grapes than it is these other types of fruits for a couple of reasons. And here is one of those reasons. Each fruit in Galatians, when Paul is talking to the church about these fruits of the Spirit, each one is interconnected to another one. Just like these grapes are connected by a stem, you don't necessarily d differentiate between the fruits. So it's kind of a weird structure of the sentence, you older, older kids, you, you adults here. Fruit of the Spirit, singular, plural direct object. So what that means is if I were to put three or four of these in my mouth, I wouldn't necessarily differentiate between the taste, right? I wouldn't say, oh, the second grape is a lot better than the third grape. Unless one of them is a sour grape. You see, if, if one of the three or four I pop into my mouth is a sour grape, then it's going to make all of them taste sour, which is to suggest your weakest spiritual trait is the level of your spiritual maturity. That's what I mean when I say the fruit of the Spirit is interconnected with one another. So I give myself as an example, patience. You know, I long for my kids to one day say, I've watched my dad become more patient as he's gotten closer to God. One of my pet peeves is pulling up to a red light and there's someone in front of me and they're texting. And maybe back in my past, I would lay on the horn and say, come on. And now all I do is say, come on. <laughs> maybe one day I'll say, you know, that's just a good son texting his mom. I'm okay with this. <laughs> Why does it also matter that the fruit of the Spirit is more like this cluster of grapes than these un unique and unusual fruits and these basic fruits? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, Kids, you are going to be pressed into a life, if you haven't been already, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, certainly middle school and high school, where being unique and unusual is so important. I would call it, uh, philosophers would call it radical individualism. You've got you've to be a kumquat, but sometimes you're going to feel like a, a banana. You've got to be a passion fruit, but sometimes you're going to feel like a pear, and what happens is as you start performing towards all these unique individual things, you end up comparing yourself to other people. So it's hard to be a, a unique and unusual fruit all the time. And likewise, I would say, if you just focus on these basic fruits like apples, bananas, pears, things like that, what's going to happen is if you don't see all of these as interconnected like the fruit of the Spirit, you're going you're gonna to start congratulating yourself. You're going to say, well, well, actually, yeah, I'm a patient and kind person. But maybe that's because you don't like hard, having hard conversations. Or maybe you'd say, well, I'm a really loving, joy-filled person, but maybe that's because... You actually just don't actually deal with the hardship of life. 
the brokenness of life. But to be living out of this fruit of the Spirit in an interconnected way develops not radical individualism or radical self-congratulation, but radical dependence. So I can say, I need more patience. I need more of God. And that's what it means to walk in the way of the Spirit, as we've been talking about. And today, we're talking about gentleness. Okay, so one more thing for you kids. The challenge that we're trying to do each first Sunday of every month is to remember that the main thing, the big idea this morning is gentleness. So go to the Connect table after the service. Pastor Tommy will be there. He's a little bit slow, so remind him. The main thing is gentleness, okay? And you'll get your challenge reward if you do that. So big idea here this morning, I want to talk about it in two ways. One, genuine gentleness, and two, gargantuan gentleness. What is gentle, genuine gentleness and what is gargantuan gentleness? Now, I'm tempted to make the entire definition of gentleness what is not on Twitter or next door. It doesn't score points today to be gentle, does it? Well, you should know, in the ancient Near East in the first century, it did not score points to be gentle and humble either. In fact, those, those traits were chided and derided in that day. But Scripture, actually, in a revolutionary way, affirms gentleness. Allow these Scriptures to just sort of cascade over you. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Colossians 3, clothe yourself with gentleness. Galatians 6, which is the very next chapter of Galatians 5, where we've been with the fruit of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, if someone is called in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Ephesians, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be humble and gentle. Or Peter's words in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Chiefly, a character quality of God is gentleness. And we've been talking about these paradoxes, these tensions that we experience throughout the summer, and I would suggest here's one, God is all-powerful and gentle. We see this in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 10 it says the sovereign Lord comes with power and in verse 10 it's 15 it says surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket catch that regarded as dust on the scales God weighs the islands as though they were fine dust and then we read further in Isaiah 40 to whom will you compare me who is my equal says the holy one who is powerful and strong but tucked in the middle of this passage, you find Isaiah 40, 11. God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them. You know, it was said of, of Jesus in Matthew's gospel that a bruised reed he would not break and a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. So what is genuine gentleness? Well, we'll get there in just a second, so hold on. But I want to first explore how this um, kind of shows up in two aspects of our society. Uh, one is, is gentleness and manliness. And then the second is gentleness and parenting, which Mary alluded to earlier. 
Um, I imagine for some of the men in this room right now, gentleness is maybe the least appealing trait of the nine that we've been talking about this summer. And yet others, I think, in our cultural moment are sort of uh, assuming that in order to be a man today, you have to check your toughness at the door under the sign, please proceed with impotence. And yes, there's a double entendre to that. However, David French wrote this great article a few weeks ago entitled Against the Extremism of the American Masculinity Debate. And he talked about in this uh, rash of serial or, or um, uh, mass shootings that almost always involve uh, young men. He talked about in the midst of 40 years running, women having gotten uh, more college degrees than men have. He talked about that how work used to be overwhelmingly and disproportionately suited for men, but today workplaces are less like that. There aren't as many factories and farms. And there is confusion in this moment, David French writes. It's inevitable. So masculinity is either viewed as toxic on the one hand or brazenly tough on the other hand. And our polarized politics exacerbate this. So we have anti-male ideologies on the left, and we have this dangerous cult of toughness on the right. And David French, the rest of his article, is incredibly helpful. It's full of description and prescription. I would encourage you to read it. But to suffice it to say here with the topic of gentleness, he writes, there are universal values of right living, and because men and women are different, these values will often manifest differently. So here's his quote. As a Christian father and now grandfather... I have long noticed that Scripture describes our moral obligations in universal terms. And here it is, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is the same for men and women. The command to act justly, love kindness, and walk humbly before God is the same for men and women. There is not one set of male virtues and one set of female virtues. Women can and do display every virtue that is stereotypically male, just as men can and do display every virtue that is stereotypically female. A good man can be extraordinarily nurturing, for example, and a good woman can display remarkable physical courage. Now, as some of you hear that quote, maybe you're concerned that it's, it's taken out of context. Well, guess what? It is taken out of context. Because anytime you take a sentence or a paragraph and put it somewhere else, it's taken out of context. So, so you really should read the article to get a deeper sense of, of what David French is getting at. But suffice it to say again here, men are called to be tough and tender, to use a syn synonym for gentleness. And the inverse is also true. Women are called to be tough and tender. A friend of mine, an ex-Marine, often signs his letters as keep tough and tender. Martin Luther King Jr. used to often talk about tough-mindedness and tender-heartedness. Paul, when he wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica, he says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. See, if, here's some math equations for you, but you don't have to write them down. If you're tender, but you're not tough, it tends to deceive people, doesn't it? Parents, bosses, friends, spouses. But if you're tough and you're not tender, it can do real damage to people, can't it? 
But if you're tough and tender, loving and truthful, you can develop people. Because tenderness isn't just weakness or, or tolerance. It's actually um, a deep strength. There's a deep strength to gentleness. And, and we see this in parenting. Second little sphere I'd like to talk uh, about for a moment. It's so funny Mary used this illustration as a call to worship because I had the very same one. You know, it, parents, when you had your, your first child, you, you'll remember that moment, how careful you were in holding that child. And then some of you who had a, had a second child, remember what you said to your first child, who now looks like a grown adult compared to your second child who's just born. What did you say the first time they held the newborn? Be gentle. Imagine if we extended that motif throughout the teenage years. Wait, wait a second, Bart. You, you don't want to stroke a, a fragile ego. No, I want to develop a durable ego. Wait, wait a second. What about tough love? Yes, but tough love, what does it have at its core? Tenderness. Think about Psalm 18:35, this amazing little psalm. God of God, it has said, you stoop down to make me great. Your gentleness, O oh God, makes me great. Faith Taylor, our children's ministry director, put me onto this uh, Instagram feed entitled Gentle Parenting. And I found this great quote on there from Max Lucado. He says, I choose gentleness. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fists, may it be only in prayer. And elementary students, come back for just a second. Bear with me for just a moment. Some of you may have siblings. And let me say, what an awesome opportunity to be tender and gentle with your siblings. It's kind of funny because it's hard, right? Because we live in this broken world and people say mean stuff to you and they do bad things to you. And sometimes you want to come home and the only way you can handle that is to lash out at a sibling. But they're living in that same broken world too. And they need your tender tenderness and your gentleness. You're a safe haven and a home base for them. So to the definition, remember genuine gentleness, gargantuan gentleness. What then is genuine gentleness? Well, class, I have a one-question test for you, and it's worth 100% of your grade, okay? Here it is. What do other people usually feel when they are around you? The great late poet Maya Angelou said it this way, people will forget what you said, they may forget what you did, but they will not forget how you made them feel. See, Christ's whole demeanor was such that people felt restful in his presence. We used it earlier in the service. Come to me, Jesus says, if you're weary and you have a lot of baggage, and I will give you rest. How? Why? Well, Jesus is, as it says, gentle at heart. See, people are at rest, at home, at ease when they're around a person who's genuinely gentle. So the definition is, is actually that. How do other people feel when they're around you? At rest, at ease, at home? But, but what about tough love? What about the truth? You know, psychological studies show, and overwhelmingly so, that receptivity to hard and difficult truth 
is most likely when people feel safe and secure. That's genuine gentleness. So as we close, I want to turn our attention for a second to gargantuan gentleness. Because I'd imagine there's some sincere, devoted, earnest people among us and you're already feeling pretty bad about your life. You don't measure up well. You don't exhibit gentleness so often. Which is why we need gargantuan forgiveness. That's what gargantuan gentleness actually is. That's where we get to this parable, and I told you I'd ask the question and answer it, does God torture people? Because it shows up at the end of this parable, and I would say again, God does not torture people, full stop. And I'm happy to talk to you more about that, but just a couple things to point out here that might give you a little more context. Firstly, this is a parable, and that's a story, a, a particular genre of teaching that makes one clear point. That's what a parable does. It makes one clear point, and it usually uses larger-than-life characters and caricatures in so doing. And the point that Jesus is making here in this parable is not that God tortures people, or even that God only forgives people who forgive other people, which is another sermon entirely. entirely. There's one clear point to this parable, and I'll tell you what it is in just a second. But the second thing I want to say by way of context is the end of the parable has Jesus saying they handed this man over to the jailers to be tortured. And let me just say, that's actually not the clearest translation of the Greek with respect to cultural context because what is happening here is that this is a debtor's prison. This is a a labor camp. And so who Jesus is describing is this supervisor who is overseeing this toil to pay back a debt that felt torturous. So you don't think waterboarding when we're talking about torture here. This This is a prison camp. So what then is the clear point of this parable? You ready for it? Here it is. The story is almost comical. There's a debt of, of $2 billion, and this king is ready to sell a servant to the debtor's prison, and the servant appeals for mercy. He says, no, no, be merciful. Give me more time. I can pay back this debt. And the king says, you can never pay it back. So it's canceled. Paid in full. You are forgiven. So what does this dude do? He goes to another guy who owes him like five bucks, and he throws him in prison. Did did you catch the clear point? God forgave a huge debt. So go forgive smaller debts. Embracing gargantuan gentleness is embracing forgiveness. And forgiveness involves receiving God's forgiveness and extending that forgiveness to others. This parable has been called the parable of the merciful king. It's also been called the parable of the unmerciful servant, which to me says we need to do two things as I close. We need to see God's forgiveness as humongous, and we need to see our sin, our turning away from God, our debt as gigantic. So to experience this type of forgiveness, you must contend with seeing your debt as gigantic. And some of us in this room are saying, well, I I really don't have so much to be forgiven for. I'm making amends. I'm paying it off. Uh, My problem is that I try too hard. I care too much. 
Sometimes I just need a break. No one's perfect anyway. Anyone in my situation would have done the same thing. He deserved it. She had it coming to her. I mean, those people, right? But all of this is minimizing a $2 billion debt. The fact of the matter, cosmically speaking, is that when God said, you need me every moment for every breath in every situation in every relationship for every conversation you said i can handle it i've got this i'm doing just fine all by myself no that's the two billion dollar debt living life without god but for others of us we also need to see god's forgiveness as humongous some of us are sitting in here and you're saying well god cannot forgive me you know what i said you don't know what i've done you don't know where i have been i have been so harsh as a spouse and a parent and a boss and a friend i'm not gentle but god's forgiveness is humongous no debt is too large and when you bring it to jesus you feel at home at ease at rest because Christ's forgiveness is gargantuan gentleness so this would have been the perfect ending of the sermon but I would have left off half of the one clear point of this parable right God forgave a huge debt so go forgive the smaller debts of others so the question is as I conclude then who am I not extending God's gentleness and tenderness to? And what might I do through the power of the Holy Spirit to change that? Now, some of us have massively painful things in our life. And, and if I had more time, I'd love to explore, and I love the book Boundaries that deals with this. Like, what is forgiveness? What is reconciliation? Do I trust this person? And, and they do a great job of talking about Forgiveness is, is mostly about a deed done in the past and reconciliation is what happens in the present relationship and that can't always happen because both parties are not always able to give and for, receive forgiveness and the future is about trust. You don't just issue someone a new line of credit if you can't trust them. So there's all sorts of complicated things to contend with but the main point still applies. Where are you withholding God's gentleness? Where do you need to open-handedly say I forgive you and if God is so gentle and tender with you how might you be gentle and tender with others I want to conclude by doing what we've done every week in this series and that's praying this this beautiful prayer that that John Stott the great Anglican minister prayed every single morning and many around him knew that John Stott described him as, as one of the holiest men they'd ever been around and I think it had a lot to do with this prayer. So would you pray it together with me as you're able? Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.